Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Aaron. Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How's it going, Dr. Parks? Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Saloni Singh. Hi, Saloni. Hi, Dr. Parks. And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hi, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about our use of virtual spaces, social media, video games, positive and negatives of those things. And we're very happy, once again, to have as our guest host, Dr. Gino Mortolero. Dr. Mortolero is a former professional gymnast, received his training in psychiatry from Harvard. He's currently an outpatient psychiatrist at Kaiser, and he sits on the Regional Gender Care Committee. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Mortolero. Hello again, everyone. Glad to be back. I, I want to kind of start because you, you you know a bit about this, Dr. Mortolero. <laughs> so I just going to ask this question: Does does video games cause ADHD? I feel like I spent hours, like eight like eight hours. Who does that? Play when I was a kid, when I was a teenager playing video games, uh, and then uh, that question was answered when I talked to my students. And sometimes they do spend eight hours playing video games. So uh, I, I don't know if it's a gender thing. You can also speak on that if you want to. But does it cause ADHD? Do you feel like it adds to it? I'm going to make it easier for you. Do you think it adds to ADHD? Well, or does, does the fact that you you played for eight hours means that it, it cured your ADHD? I mean, I'd love to I, answer that question, it, but I got distracted by something shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you an array to go to. Yeah, right. Ooh, video game. Um, I mean, certainly I don't think it caused ADHD. Uh, but I will say certainly I also know that pretty much if a kid has the worst ADHD I've ever seen, I can also sit them down in front of a video game and they'll probably sustain it. Selective attention is like a wonderful thing, right? Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, con I'll concede that that probably won't uh, rule it out either. <laughs> There is a video game now that, that is, I think, said to treat ADHD, and it automatically shuts off after after 20 minutes or something It's actually like approved that. by the FDA for treating ADHD, the Mightier game. Yeah. Wow. Pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a lot that would love for the AD FDA to also say that they do, but uh, that, one, that one earned it. Have you played this game? I don't know if I've played the Mightier one. I've played some of the other ones that have failed uh to really reach the statistical significance and really demonstrate long-lasting effect a handful have shown that they can be effective while you play it perhaps and they use like different biofeedbacks or different things um but not many have successfully shown lasting benefits so i i think that's kind of what set mightier apart from its cohorts to earn that fda title it is really great yeah, Joshua, can you say it again? I said the FDA is really branching out. I mean, that's to get into video games. I mean, it would have to increase their acronym size at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Food, Drug, and Video Game Administration. Yeah. <laughs> it's increased my titles by a lot. <laughs> yeah, the FDA. <laughs> Speaking of that, actually, Dr. Mortolera, I didn't catch in the intro. Aren't you on some sort of board that reduces the stigma about mental health uh, related to video games? Yeah, so I uh, I also sit on, uh, well, I'm the physician lead for Kaiser's 
Presence of Mind Initiative, which is aimed That's at reducing right. uh, mental health stigma in, in video game communities. How did you get onto that? How did you uh, get in that? I mean, by hoping and praying and wishing every single day of my life to get paid for video games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, Kaiser wanted to do part of its like public works and public good sort of initiative to set this aim to reduce essentially mental health stigma and really looked at a community that had been affected by some pretty significant mental health issues, noting a lot of online personalities that had, you know, died recently due to suicide um, and kind of the ripples that sent in the community. So they found a need and they kind of put out a call to arms for, you know, mental health leads and really looking for a child psychiatrist and one who is uh, familiar with video games and Boy, I, I think uh, they got more than they they were expecting in terms of familiarity <laughs> hey, with video games. <laughs> that is so interesting. I never heard of that sort of organization before. I, I had no idea something like that was um, in existence. It's really interesting. Especially Not, that Kaiser, Kaiser started that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely our initiative. I, I'm not familiar with too many other ones going on. So I, I'd like to think I'm new and shiny. Do you think people in the video game community are less likely or have uh, to come forward with mental health issues or do you feel like there's more stigma among the video game community, people online gaming, or just the gamers and things like that? You know, honestly, in, in all of our community facing interactions, it's been like pretty welcome with open arms by and large. Uh, people have been pretty open and honest, um, you know, and people... I think there is a little bit of self-selection just because of the internet in general, having such a wide target audience. Um, so people who are more interested are more likely to, you know, come and probably listen to us or, or interact it, yeah. with us. <laughs> Do you think video games make people more aggressive? Do you feel like it, it's, a, it's a causal factor for violence? If someone is kind of uh, aggressive already, if a kid is kind of aggressive already, is playing violent video games for four hours a day, is that not good? If someone has an aggressive tendency, I, I still do advise, boy, don't do that still, right? If I have something that is a maladaptive trait, let's not do something that emphasizes that. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm on board with that for sure. Um, just like in the same token, you know, I, I also encourage parents to familiarize themselves with the rating system. If you are 10, you don't need to play Grand Theft Auto, right? Um, and for those that's who aren't, huge. what? I think that's really, really important that yeah. I feel like, uh, parents, uh, uh, it's almost like, a. Uh, you know, they have an idea that their kid's going to be different or their kid can handle it. Similar to kind of like R-rated movies for little kids and things like that. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the movie theaters are probably a little stricter than, you know, most of these games are download only. You get a credit card and you push a little button that says, oh, yeah, I'm 17. Yep. And, and that's the end of it. So parents need to, you know, take a look at it, see if it's appropriate. So I, I maintain all of that. But we do have the rating system with those guidances there. So I, you know, I still tell people, hey, take, take a peek at what they're doing. <laughs> An interesting thing, this whole the whole argument that uh, video games would cause violence, because it's like the Vikings had, didn't have access to Call of Duty, 
that they were ostensibly more violent. It seems that the general trajectory of history is towards less violence. Yeah. To say that this type of thing instigates violence is like, I, I don't know. I don't think it buys. I don't. I don't buy it. Joshua makes fantastic arguments uh, very frequently, and, and he's highly intellectual. And I have to say, Joshua, that is the worst argument I have ever heard. <laughs> I you think it's made. a good one. I don't buy it. <laughs> Vikings buy didn't it. have Here's because the Vikings. Vikings were violent and didn't have access to video games. Therefore, okay, hyperbole. Causality. <laughs> hyperbole aside, I think it's a good point. <laughs> I think it's it's just the point that like, why would we assume that this thing is making people violent when violence is far far less? I think we should look at like probably greater trends and that they didn't have access to things that, if video games did make you violent wouldn't that be a reproducible finding? With more video games, shouldn't we have more violence in a particular way? And I guess that's the point. It was a joke, but that is the point I was trying to make. I, look, I appreciated your joke. Thank you, Joshua. thank you. And, and certainly, you know, there's there was the past research that looked at this exact question, and certainly there's old research that's gonna say, yes, yes, it does look at that. And, you know, just as Joshua was raising, there's also this concept of, well, let's look at the bigger scale, right? So, uh, you know, there's there's multiple confounders and certainly if someone has a predilection towards violence or an obsessive quality with violence, then, then they might gear themselves towards violence, right? In working with patients who have obsessions with guns, they might have a predilection towards playing a video game with a lot of guns in it, right? And that's not the game that bore the predilection so much as the predilection that bore the game. What about the opportunity cost? I mean, I, it's particularly when I, when I think about, like, since Joshua just brought up this point, we'll, we'll pick on Joshua. I mean, his, <laughs> Joshua's intellect, I'm thinking about, you know, what if, what if Joshua had uh, spent his childhood being riveted by video games instead of reading about Wittgenstein? Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, that's a, that's a tremendous amount of time, and it's so engaging. What's mm -hmm. happening to the time that people could be using to advance their mind and advance their social life and advance their journey through life? Well, I mean, no one also said that you that any kid should spend eight hours a day doing it either, right? I'm not advocating that either. I tell but my that patient. is often what happens. Right? Yes, undoubtedly. And and look, I am I am gonna be the pot calling the kettle black. On a weekend, am I sometimes the person that's going to sit there and play eight hours of a video game? Yes, I am. But <laughs> when I put my doctor hat on, I tell parents and I tell kids, you know, too much water can kill you. So definitely too much video games can be a bad thing, right? So it's a conversation about moderation, just like everything else in life. Too much Wittgenstein can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. You got it back, Joshua. Okay, but I, I, you know, you kind of brought up the attention thing a little bit also is that uh, it is a fact that uh, cartoons and movies uh, stimulate, it's become more arousing, more fast paced, more intense. I mean, when I watch a movie with one of my grandkids or one of my kids, um, some, I'm some, I pretty much can tell 
oh, this is like a movie from 1960-something or 19... Oh, they're going to think this is a total snooze fest because it's not fast enough. It's not... Pace, it's not it, it, the, the intensity level is not up there. When I look at the, the cartoons of today, a lot of the cartoons of today, it, there's, and the cartoons of when I was a kid, there's no comparison. They're super intense, exploding, uh, fast-paced kind of things. It's hard for me to imagine that it hasn't had an effect on people's attention spans and demands for stimulation. So I am basically begging you to say yes to that, Dr. Morlero. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I mean, I'm, okay. I'm the first person that wants to blame commercialism and, and all that sort of stuff for everything, pretty much. So we, we love that. That's yeah. not a hard sell here. for me. Uh, so but I, but I'm also going to go ahead and blame commercialism and a constant drive for income, admittedly. Right. So, uh, you know, it, there's research that's going to show us our diminishing attention spans. And you can also see how commercials, TV shows, everything under the sun has adapted for that sole purpose, right? And, you know, video games, especially as we move where these free-to-play models have come in, where, yeah, it's absolutely free to download. Oh my gosh, parent, look at that. You spent no money. But then it's like entrenched with these little like, play this for a couple of minutes, but ooh, you'll need to watch this commercial, maybe click on this and buy something, right? And so it's reinforcing that model. But there still exists the traditional video game where you've bought the product, they're not gonna make any more money, and you can sit there and enjoy the game at your own leisure, your own pace. And those I think are still, maybe this is my nerd self, my purist gaming self, where they're still capturing those non-attention grabbing components but we hear so much these days and i don't want to throw any games under the bus but we hear a lot about some of these free-to-play model games and they're they're endlessly popular and and they sell you know the newest shiny thing and that's what it's going for right the the visage of ooh shiny ooh newest ooh pay attention to me for the next five minutes while i'm the newest right and it only capitalizes on what is a larger market trend. Hmm. Is there a way to, and this will be my last question, people can move on. It's like, is there a way to uh, regenerate your brain and help yourself uh, not be so, uh, uh, sh uh, your, your attention span, or have your attention span recovered, nurse it back to health so that you can read Wittgenstein, <laughs> the, great, the great classics of literature and not feel it's a boring snooze fest. <laughs> so our war, Dr. Parks, on the value of philosophy will never die. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Uh, maybe I wouldn't pick Wittgenstein, but, uh. Uh, but but let me say this first uh, before you answer that question, Dr. Morlo. Uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about uh, the, the, uh, uh, virtual spaces, multimedia, video games, social media use, the impact, positive and negative. We'll get to the positive in a bit. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Morlero, floor is yours. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm slamming in the positive, even if we were supposed to talk about the negative. It's fine. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale that back and come back to my video games, right? Because at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of focusing on the quick and, and attention-grabbing video games, right? I'm going to pull it back to the video games as art. So there are entire video games out there built on the concept of mindfulness where 
your only objective is to be this pedal flowing in the wind and enjoy the concept of flowing in the wind to harmonious music, right? Oh my God, that sounds that so is, nice. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so that is an entire game in and of itself. Um, there's another one that I, I love the concept of it where you are controlling this little simply designed character and you're kind of put into this world, no objective, no instructions, and it's populated with another character. You don't know if that's computer, if that's another person, anything. And you, your only goal is to interact with this other person and explore the world around you. Dr. Mortalero, you're, you're mentioning some beautiful sounding video games. I would ask you, one, how many people do you know who play video games at an appropriate uh, time allocation, as we mentioned? How many people do you know that are playing the mindful pedal video game and versus how many people do you know that are playing uh, Call of Duty eight hours a day? Um, you know, and, and well, it could be patient population, whatever. But but what does this actually look like? Okay, but let me let me let me pull that back. How many people use Netflix responsibly and like watch one episode and turn it off? I, I'm no great proponent <laughs> of Netflix. <laughs> right. Ooh, don't you dare talk about my Netflix. <laughs> right. No, I mean as Americans, we're not. Let's go back to trashing video games. <laughs> moderating things. But I will say that when you look at some of the video games that at least come up for awards, these are these are some of the games that have at least gotten awards and have been successful in their own rights. Um, certainly, the the two that I've brought to the table as examples, without you know trying to sell video games and drop names here, are two that have notoriety in the gaming community and have won many awards for their design elements. In fact, one of the more recent successful games and i mean like wildly successful games and i think either one game of the year or was nominated for game of the year uh is a essentially a traditional sort of action rpg you build up your character you're tasked with missions blah 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 but there are also objectives to sit in a reflective space and compose haikus between missions right mm -hmm. and your task is to meditate on tranquility right and so there's these things that are being built into video games. Um, there was a game that was... What country did this video game come out of? Uh, I, the vast majority are from Japan. Um, and that one came out of Japan and it's set in a Japanese uh, province. Nice. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's things like that. There's uh, a game that was also designed using individuals who have experienced psychotic symptoms and trying to capture what their experience is like. And it was game developers who had to take unpaid time from their game studio, not have the support of their game studio and make this game and say like, we will launch it without your support on our own time because we think this is an important project and people need to understand what it's like. And they worked with community members to create that. So I think it's those kinds of things that are really just these transformative experiences that, you know, the video games of even five years ago, 10 years ago, can't capitalize on or generate or, or even understand what it would look like from where they were, you know, when I was born and it was two lines with a ball bouncing between them. That sounds more like, you know, Call of Beauty versus Call of Duty. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Kind of I love it. <laughs> I like that. 
twinning yin yang aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like video games brought us to this place and they're going to bring us out of it. Yeah. Well, and there's completely story based ones too, where you like it's it's a pick your own adventure book, right? Where like literally you just push a button and it guides your character down which hallway they're going to walk down to engage in the next story dynamic. So there's there's a million and one kinds of ways, right? Now to engage in this, and yes, does it have a visual flair? So you know it it might capture people, but you know it, it's it's a incredibly creative realm now that pop culture and and what the news portrays kind of misses some of the some of the deeper beauties of it. That that brings me to a question, Doctor Mortalero. I mean, I think you're making some really good points that the type of game and the the you know, the free to play games are different from these games where you've already bought them and it changes the way that they're marketed and the, and the commercials in them. Similarly, I, I think that one thing we need to talk about is the social aspect of gaming, um, you know, uh, social aspect of playing video games and social gaming and how, what the positive role it can play uh, um, in our society. And uh, one thing I was reading was that, you know, a lot, obviously, obviously both genders play Play video games but a, a lot of people who play video games tend to be male and the, you know there's a study showing that after age 30 a lot of men stop making social connections whereas women go on making social connections uh, they pretty much have their relationships for their life set at age 30 they, and um, women tend to keep building this this article that i was reading was talking about the pro-social advantage of of social gaming or, or gaming with your friends or gaming with strangers and meeting new people or or uh, fortifying your existing friendships with your with your friends who could be living in a different country you could be living you know across the um, across the street but it's a, it's an amazing uh, way to interact with people in a different in a different realm and it can be very positive because you can meet people that you never might have met yeah absolutely and and you know one of the things and this is you know, maybe a callback to uh, my previous time that I met with y'all, but the online gaming community has always been an early safe space for members of the LGBT community. You know, it's it's been that first safe space where perhaps you had a visible presence of other individuals who are LGBT. And there's such a value in in connecting with other LGBT people on something other than the fact that like, oh, hey, we're both gay, so we should be friends, right? Like that's not the only concept that makes me a friend of a person. And so, you know, for me, I, I was in gay guilds as soon as I could figure out how to log on to an online game, right? And they're not shy. They have these big, you know, lovely little rainbow logos and they're a, a pithy little guild name, right? And I joined them probably before I was out to anyone in real life. And it was kind of my first time as as existing as, you know, maybe an avatar version of me, but being able to talk as just like an out gay man without having to, you know, butch it up or, or straight it up or anything like that. Right. And similarly, you know, people who have various gender expressions that is a safe place if they can't gender express in their own home for fear of rejection from parents if they can't at school that online presence they can create a gender affirmed avatar they can identify and share in an 
already likely identified safe space in these online communities. And so this can be the first place that someone has that welcoming atmosphere and that safe place to connect and connect on something other than just an LGBT identity. So it's it's an incredibly meaningful tool to a large member or a large portion of our LGBT like players. Um, and so it's always had that sort of pro-social like meaning for me, for sure. What happens to those relationships? Do people take them off the air and either meet by by FaceTime or Zoom, or if they're in the same place, do they meet in person, or does it kind of stay on the game? So that has a lot of variations. Some people get married like on the game and then transition that to real life, honestly. Wow. There are people who have met on these games and then move countries to marry the people they've met on the games, move states, some are local, and then not everyone meets up. I mean, obviously not every relationship works and sometimes people don't want it to bleed outside of that, you know, and there's a multitude of reasons for that. But uh, but sometimes, you know, you can definitely see people who are married in real life and they met on the game or vice versa. Me and my husband will play, you know, our nerd multiplayer online games and you know we're married in the game and we have this little mount that's two little pieces of a heart that you ride together and all that nerd stuff (laughs) yeah it's totally ridiculous but but you know but so it, it works the opposite way as well and some of the people that we played with that he knew from real life met their spouse from the game as well wow yeah so it's definitely kind of fascinating wow that is heartwarming I will say you've changed my mind a bit about you. That was a pretty powerful point. Yeah. I even use online gaming to stay connected with my mom right now. We have a game that we download that's basically like charades, and we use it on our console, and she can use her phone to play with us because she's in Louisiana, and my sister's in Texas, and then we're in California. So we can play like charades, and all they need is their smartphone, right? And so it helps us all stay connected despite being all over the U.S. I'm going to change the topic, but but please, people can uh, ask any question you might have. But uh, is there a benefit? Do you feel like there's a benefit to debate in social media, just a free-for-all, free-for-all debate? People of all different... Because I I agree, there is a real value with connecting with folks with uh, a similar, uh, you know, uh, sexual orientation, uh, interests, uh, you know, backgrounds, things like that. You really can connect in a way that you couldn't before. But is, is there a benefit to dealing with people that are uh, saying intensely negative anonymous things and having this kind of online debate and comments you see a bunch of comments like after youtube videos or facebook and things like that is is do you feel like that is helping our society in a way is that sharpening our skills or understanding people or something or i mean engaging in the debate no it's kind of like arguing in the mirror right like i might feel better or like arguing with ourselves in the shower right like oh we feel so good like we won that argument in the moment and we really got nowhere and and so that's kind of how i view engaging in the debate with it um admittedly for moderated channels right where there's sort of this uh regulating figure that's avoiding like letting unmitigated rage or inappropriate things happen or be sort of thrown out there without good reason or contributing to the discussion. I think that's actually much better because then I think for any kid who might be watching, adolescent, young adult, it's setting great examples of consequences of our actions 
because we do have freedom of speech. We can say whatever we want, but we are still bound to being responsible for what comes out of our mouth. And so just like if I type something nasty, you know, then I might have to say like, okay, well, I can't join this conversation anymore, right? Because I didn't really contribute and I was unnecessarily rude. And, and that's what would happen in real life if I went up to someone in their house and said, oh man, your design choices are horrible. I hate you. You know, I might not be welcome back. <laughs> yeah, learn, to so, so, learn like this a social like mores and, and uh, what's appropriate and inappropriate. And it's like an opportunity, basically. To, exactly. To I'm, a, I'm a big yeah. fan of like modeling of behaviors, but I guess that's why I'm a child psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like there's a generational difference between this thing? Do you notice that? And what, what, what is your tip? So when you notice this generational difference between parents and kids, the answer is yes, there is a generational difference. <laughs> I mean, there but, is. But I we what's beautiful is that we're getting a lot of adults who are now playing with their kids and things like that. And I really encourage it, honestly. Uh, you know, there's there's no reason that parents can't try to learn like some something about the game the kids into play a game with them maybe go to minecon right like it's a i mean it's a conference you're dressing up you're going to do a social event together and show that your shared interest as a parent that you are learning something about your kid and that is probably the best thing you can do and even if you wanted to raise Johnny football star and you didn't get that that is not the kid's responsibility to live up to your dreams. So learn about them, be interested in them. And, and that is probably the best thing you can do as a parent. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Thank you, Dr. Mortalero, for joining us uh, tonight. Thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, Saloni Singh, Joshua Poole, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. You can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. I have been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.